Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the March 21st, Noru's 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Testing this mic. The drought is not over. Testing, one, two, three, four, testing. And here to put our mics through their paces is Randall Crane to talk about the status of water as the recently elected director of Division 5 of the Municipal Water District of Orange County. He'll talk in this capacity about water issues that we can hit him up with, folks, since as I just tested the mic, I'll test it again. The drought is not over. Happy Noru's, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the full hour to talk about the status of water right here, right now, is Randall Crane, Professor Emeritus at UCLA's Luskin School of Public Affairs, Irvine resident, and recently, congratulations, elected director of Division 5 of the Municipal Water District of Orange County, which is a wholesale water provider and resource planning agency that serves Orange County's 3.2 million residents and businesses through 28 water retailers. We'll break a little bit of that down in a bit. MODOC, that's the shorthand, it purchases approximately 70.2 billion gallons of imported water per year from Northern California and the Colorado River and delivers this to those at the 28 member agencies. These agencies made up of both city water departments and water districts, and they provide retail water service to the public. And so the division includes uh, Lisa Viejo, Dana Point, parts of Irvine, parts of Laguna, parts of Laguna Hills, Laguna Niguel, and, part, and Laguna Woods, Lake Forest, Mission Viejo, and Newport Beach, plus some unincorporated areas. And academically speaking, very quickly, Randy's work has taken him to Indonesia for the World Bank. He worked on water equity reform in Indonesia, city planning reform in Vietnam, and the Harvard University Institute of International Development on water and national fiscal policy in Indonesian Kenya. So stateside, he was associate director of UCLA Institute of Transportation Studies, senior urban fellow at the World Resources Institute Center for Sustainable Cities. And on that team, he designed structural governance reforms for the water system of the San Francisco Bay Area for the state of California. His courses in water governance and management span the decades at UCI and UCLA, and he's currently now uh, a, he's still a board member of the OC Gold Solar, or did you have to give that up? I am. You still are. Okay. He joins me, as you can tell, in studio. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Randy Crane. Thank you very much. Well, uh, good news, bad news. We're still in a drought. The coverage has, though, been pretty correct on this. And even comedians on Twitter, they're watching some of the essential aspects of water management. So that's that's uh, the good and bad news all wrapped in together. So we'll start with, however, before we get into specific policies on managing water and how they're presenting those messages to the public, I'd like to explore with you, Randy, the sort of the general institutional arena into which you've recently entered as an elected official. So talk, tell us about your impressions on the inside now and your priorities and how they square with the uh, the other directors. Sure. Um, well, that's like, that's a multi-part question. But yes, yes, yes. We start with uh, that MODOC is a special district and I had, did not have experience working in special districts before on the inside. And they're kind of interesting beasts, you know. So they're, they're basically special purpose districts that are focused on something. It looks much like school districts, but also mosquito abatement districts and the like. They have a board of directors, which is democratically elected. We can talk more about that, too, because that was an interesting process. And they have a staff. And so the way that works is just sort of interesting because the way there are two big new parts of my life that, that came with that. One is the Ralph Brown Act and Robert's Rules of Order. 
the Brown Act, is, I think, is as old as me. It's, it's being revised over time, and it was revised during the pandemic. But it's the ruling that in California makes sure that public agencies are very transparent in their activities and their decision-making. What it means in practice is that the board can't meet outside of a public meeting. Anytime it's a number. Like, any members can't meet. Like, you can't even have a casual sort of meeting between... You, a, there's you, a threshold, right? That There's a threshold of a majority of the board that cannot meet, but not only at one time, they can't meet in a, what's called a serial fashion. So you can't talk to Bob and then tell Charlie that you talked to Sally about some issue. That is technically a meeting and would have to be publicly noticed and open. So it's a little different kind of, you know, basis in which to, to discuss issues with the rest of the board because you basically have to do it in these open meetings. Sometimes you can talk one-on-one with somebody, but you have to be careful that that person then doesn't talk to someone else uh, in case you get over that threshold of four. And that's to prevent from some kind of, like, vote counting to know, sort of do your own kind of... Um What's the word they use it um, in whipping? You're not whipping, so you know where what pivotal policy votes are. That you're not sort of privately sort of transacting really important outcomes. Exactly. I don't think it, it negates the power of vote trading and the like, but it probably does bring that out into the public much much more. And we've seen some cases of this with some local school districts where they came into power and made decisions in their first meeting that they obviously had, had, had thought about before and maybe talked about. So that's that's a really something we take very, very seriously. I think all the water districts do, uh, in Orange County particularly. And it's it's a different way of, of acting with the people that you're making decisions with. And then the other part of that is just how the meetings proceed, which which are very formally, using the Robert's Rules of Order. And then there's the relationship between the board and the staff. So essentially the way a special district works is you have the elected board that makes the policy decisions and the staff do the work. So essentially... I go to meetings. Material has been prepared for those meetings. I prepare myself based on those materials, and then we discuss uh, the materials and whether they're action items that we need to make decisions on. We don't interact with the staff directly very much except the general manager. So the general manager is basically the captain of the ship, and if we have issues and want to talk to staff, maybe some assistance with a talk or preparing for something like this, we can go through the general manager. So it's just an interesting structure that I have to get used to and learn about. Um, other than that, there's nobody really in charge of me. There's no adult supervision other than the culture of the board and how the boards are supposed to work That's, together. Well, I want to get right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. The, how that is what you had probably some ideas about what that might be and how you'd respond, how they respond to you. But what's it like in reality now, three months in? Um, it's a little different than the ideas I had. I think I I better appreciate the need for everybody to be as much on the same page as possible. So the, the way it was described to me recently, and I went to a special district school, actually. They okay. have that kind of thing. Not camp, but school. And um, the idea is that you, you vote on issues, and, and then you support the majority decision on that issue. So that it's important for the board to work together as, as a team as much as possible. It was explained to me that there's no I in team. So, and that's essentially the culture of how the board should operate. And what that means in practice is you, you get along with everybody as well as you can. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one specific example. Yes, good. So, I, uh, in January, I got an email from somebody on staff on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. I said, well, uh, so you're working on holiday? And, and it was explained to me that we didn't observe that holiday. So... I um, managed to put this on a committee agenda and bring it to the board for a discussion. And uh, at least two people came to me from the board to talk to me about this, one saying that they didn't agree with having it made a holiday, the other just kind of general inquiry. And so it was kind of an exchange of, you know, this is how I feel about this, this is how you feel about it. When we went to the board, it passed 6 to 1, so it is now an official holiday of the MODOC. And... Um, now that we've done that, everybody's in agreement that it was a good idea. So they're sort of going with the board on that. And I think... That's culture we, and politics. It's and- a pretty disparate group in terms of, of their traditional political things, but it's not, not as partisan and not as competitive. Honestly, it's not as competitive as the academic world was, I think, because in a way we're not competing with each other directly, particularly now that we're in separate divisions. We're not even running against each other in elections. So um, hmm. there's not much to... Th- for one person to threaten another, other than if you disagree on issues, and then you can, again, talk it out during a meeting or in other venues. So that's a different culture. 
where you're basically trying to get along, trying to support each other, depending on what the majority feels. So might a kind of a difference among division directors might be how how sort of public, how transparent, how, I mean, about every machination going on? With the, I mean, because like you campaigned on, it's the one agency that has impact that you don't know anything about voters. So they're used to it being off everybody's radar. So if somebody wants to raise the radar, is that something that that might be a bit of a of attention in the culture of MODOC? Not so far. I So uh, you had me on your show in September, I think? Correct. Uh, which I appreciate, and who knows, made, might have made the difference. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was very interested in, in what was going on there and, and, and what the thinking was in terms of public outreach particularly. So another thing I've learned is, is there's something called a water community, and in particular there's an Orange County water community. And these are the various, as you mentioned, we have 27 member agencies, we're part of the larger regional metropolitan water district of Southern California, which itself has 30-something agencies and, and cities associated with it. So there are a lot of people that they work with each other and go to meetings together, and those people know what everybody else is doing for the most part, particularly in Orange County. So our public traditionally has been these member agencies, so other water districts, the boards of those districts, the staff of those, those districts. There are customers, because we sell them the imported water you mentioned before. That's what we do. We sell imported water and provide other uh, planning resources for particularly the smaller agencies. So those people are in touch with the job. I was very interested, and still am, in doing more public outreach, and I have gotten no pushback from that at all. It's There's a question of resources and how to do it. It turns out we have a, a very extensive public education program for schools, so K through 12, uh, we have a character called Ricky, let me make sure I get this right, Ricky the Rambunctious Raindrop, Oof. who uh, visits schools. And the president of my board uh, remembers when Ricky visited her classroom uh, when she was a child, and it made a big impression on her, and she became a water engineer. Oh, and wow. And now the board of our, the president of our board, uh, Megan U. Snyder. So there's at least one point, sample point, that, that it's very effective at the school level. So everybody knows when their kids come home from school and start wondering why you're wasting water on this, that, or the other. And uh, those programs are partly responsible for that. So in terms of getting adults involved in a similar way, um, people are open to it. We're talking about it. It's a little unclear how to do that because, you know, people's attention is limited. I understand that very much. At the same time, everybody's concerned about, particularly before this winter, about where we stood with respect to our water. And people, I think many people understand on some level that we bring in a large part of our water, roughly half of it now, from far, far away. And that those sources are threatened. They're in the news regularly. The LA Times has been covering this very well. So people are concerned about that. And that was something I talked about during the campaign. I think that's why I got elected, frankly, is that people... It resonated with people that they wanted to know who they could talk to and hear from about how things are going. So I've, again, gotten no pushback. The question is how to do that, how much it will cost, where we get that money, those kinds of things. So that's the culture at the place with staff, with fellow board members. What's it like? What are the interested parties that are bringing to bear influence on with you, whether it's other Let's let's name them uh, uh, businesses, local officials, you know, elected or appointed labor uh, entities, uh, environmental activists, ratepayers. So what's that kind of presence with MODOC? Because we're a wholesale agency, as you mentioned, I would say 99 percent of the pressure we get is from our member agencies. So other water districts, the districts that we sell water to and, and we we add on some fees to pay for our services and um, we, that actually was has been the, the subject of lawsuits in the past that, that, that have been settled. Um, well, 10 years ago, we, we settled with South County, something called the Settlement Agreement, which basically turned our services into optional and required services. And so we charge everybody for our core services. And then we have a pro, what we call a choice program. And some of the education campaigns are examples of those. And because the, the situation in Orange County is, is honestly super interesting in the water governance side. Yeah. You've got on, in South County, particularly, some very large, very well-resourced, uh, very well-staffed water districts. Santa Margarita, uh, Molten Niguel, 
Irvine Ranch Water District. Uh, With directors that have been there for uh, for generations, well, some of them. We can talk about turnover of directors if, oh, if you want. But that, uh, anyway, so that's... Absolutely. There have been people, Irvine Ranch Water District, who have been there 40 years, um, and also Moulton the Gal. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think we can talk both both sides of that. Um, but those are those people and those agencies don't really need our services in the same way. They just they need, need our water. South Orange County is is interesting again in the sense that South County is totally dependent on imported water, whereas North County has a groundwater basin, and it's a very healthy and very well managed groundwater basin. So we're not as dependent on imported water. Um, Irvine Ranch is, is basically in between and uses some groundwater, but also imports some water. And then Moulton Niguel, uh, as I said, and Santa Margarita are totally dependent on imported water. Well, isn't a third one, though, that is using the tertiary treated? That's also, that's a third. Well, sorry. So it is a third source, although it's done through the groundwater basin. Okay. For the most part. Okay. Okay. Good. So, Good to get uh, that. And there's another water, wholesale water district, the other one for Orange County, called the Orange County Water District. And it got that cool name because it's the oldest. It's 100-something years old because people got organized back in those days to, to manage the groundwater. And they have the largest uh, wastewater treatment plant that's used to refresh or replenish, as it's called, the groundwater basin in the world. So there's our three sources of water. We, we import water. We use the groundwater basin. But we manage the groundwater basin by recharging it with treated water and stormwater uh, that we've saved. Uh, any, any water in Orange County that gets used, basically, is trying, they try to put it back into the groundwater basin. Okay. After, after treating it to where it's basically potable water, drinking water standards. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest for the full hour is Randall Crane, talking in his capacity as recently elected Director of Division 5 at the Municipal Water District of Orange County, with expertise as a policy scholar, a water consultant, UCLA professor, and the MODOC Division 5, as you were, we'll, we'll put it back uh, uh, geographically for people, includes the cities of Elisa Viejo, Laguna Hills, Laguna Woods, and portions of Dana Point, Irvine, Laguna Beach, Laguna Niguel, Lake Forest, Mission Viejo, Newport Beach, and some unincorporated portions of Orange County. So that, uh, and we're going to get to the relationship. It's an interesting one with the um, Orange County Water District, the the, the coordinating and um, and there's 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 drama there's drama on the horizon as I've uh, been uh, posted here. So when we talked about with you as a candidate, I was curious about what your social science you're an economist or urban economist what your social science perspective would bring to a largely engineering trained perspective. And so how is that sort of working out in terms of policy making and working side by side? I would say there are a couple of people that tend to be uh, directors on these boards. One is our engineers, as you mentioned, uh, that come out of the industry. One of my colleagues that was elected two years ago actually worked at MODOC for 30-something years. And, and um, you know, that's not an unusual model where you have people either in a, a different district or somewhere else. They have a career as a water engineer. Then there are people who are in finance and administration, and sort of business kind of side, who are there. There aren't too many uh, academic social scientists that wander into these districts. There actually was a guy elected in, uh, I think it's called Three Valleys Water District in Los Angeles County, who I believe is the only other uh, challenger to an incumbent who won in, in this last election. Where are the Three Valleys, quickly? It's uh, Claremont. Oh, over San Gabriel. Yeah. San, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Wow. Um, and um, so how does that affect, how is it, how do I look at things differently or, or what's my place in, in the scheme of things that I'm doing that? Well, I'm finding my way. There are some issues that come up where you can think about them uh, a little bit like research questions or what we know from the literature, which is how I used to think about things. What do we know? What, how can we apply it to this problem? How can we fix it? So the, maybe the problem-solving approach is a little bit different, a little more behavioral. And I also have a background in, in governance reform, and that's something that, that uh, it sounds like you're going to bring up with Orange County Water District, what we're talking about, maybe restructuring the way we do wholesale, water wholesaling. So I, I have, I think, brought a perspective to that that's a little bit different than, than the other folks, but I'm still finding my way with, with what, how that will really uh, you know, make me a more useful or a useful director. So also in your campaigning, you were speaking to the urgency 
that to for agencies to rapidly pivot into addressing climate stressed water sources and which and you mentioned something about that too that the public is moving along because it's been covered well and that nothing like a picture to, worth a thousand words to see a whole whole reservoir basin just like desiccated practically but so to that urgency we've got some local things i mean i'm watching what water uci is doing a, a uci sustainability initiative that they're working with them I'm not sure I sense the urgency. I see some very conventional thinking in those forums, but how are you finding you're able to bring, dial this urgency up with more action and more, um, not, I, I mean, when I, when I attend meetings, I can see sort of a retrospective attention. I don't see that kind of, it's come, it's pressing from the future and that kind of looking in that way um, to, to rally and address this vigorously. So how are you bringing those available institutions along with you to dial up the urgency? Well, I'm not bringing them along with me. I'm, I'm trying to catch up. I mean, I can tell you that there is a very strong sense of urgency on the part of these um, water planners. Uh, I think an issue during the campaign, which is still an issue, and, and you just touched on it, is that that is not shared very well with the public. Again, the water community is sort of up to speed, but they're not letting the public, and in, in many cases, other elected officials, uh, know what they're up to. So I've heard, I can't tell you how many presentations on this, the status of the Colorado River water and the state water project in California, and we could talk a little bit about the state system if you want, uh, over the last couple of months. Just presentation after presentation, people are, are almost frantically trying to figure out how to deal with the situation. I will say they seem to have been caught off guard a bit. So uh, the mis- About what? About how climate change might affect water supplies. Oh, that's so, just, that uh, is just unconscionable, Randy. Well, what can I say other than now they seem to have sort of figured out that this it happened just more quickly than they expected, apparently. But so I, I mean, wasn't involved in the planning at that point. So I don't. It's hard for me to kind of go back a couple of years and see where their thinking was at that point. But um, now people are well aware. Um, and they're dealing with it on a daily basis. I mean, they're I'm, still not communicating to the public, however. Right, right. And Jay Familietti, when we used to have an institute of hydrology here, I'm not even sure if they exist any longer. And they had terminal PhD degrees that uh, he's working with here. But he sat in that chair where you were, and he looked back on a Central Valley public meeting he had. It was maybe 15, 18 more years ago, and he said we're screwed in a more vivid way. And that was then. I mean, the radar was going off and the, the gray satellites that are moving all over the world measuring water drops and that kind of thing. So um, so you're confirming that that urgency, there was a deaf ear to those uh, warnings. So the warnings were there. There definitely were you know, very highly trained staff that were on top of all of these things. People like Jay, uh, who I actually heard, he came back and gave a talk in Orange County a month ago. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't believe I to, missed that. To upgrade... Um, update us on, on, you know, groundwater changes around the world, including California, where things are pretty dire in terms of what's happening to the Central Valley groundwater basin, which is not, uh, I learned in that meeting, is not uh, accounted for when people are calculating drought versus non-drought. They don't talk about the groundwater. So um, those things were happening. Those people were doing their work. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, But I think it was a combination of things. I think that at the decision-making level, um, there it was complicated. So the Colorado River is a pretty good example. We've right. got seven states. I think they knew this was coming. I think they were surprised. Some people were surprised, at least the people at the top, by how quickly this became a crisis and, and how fast the, the levels of the two largest reservoirs in the country, Mead and Powell, fell. And then they can't make a decision about how to proceed. Um, and, you know, the, you probably heard the federal government gave the seven states... A deadline, which has passed several times since last summer. Um, so the question is whether the seven states will work out an agreement or whether the feds will come in and impose some kind of agreement. And you probably have also heard there was a lot of press about California versus the other six states right. because California has the senior water rights and uses most of the water in the Colorado Basin, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they're just very strong differences there. They're not easy to solve. As an example, the six Upper Basin State, no, they're not Upper Basin States. They're, I think, three are Upper Basin, and then the other um, three are, are Lower Basin. But the other six states came up with their plan 
which somehow suggested that the water that evaporated by the time it got to California should be counted against California's use. So, and, and it hit the press in a way that did not favor California. So they're working on that. And, I mean, those are like UN-level kind of discussions because there's a lot at stake. I believe today uh, a case opened in the Supreme Court about some tribal water rights. Right. That's and, today, the oral arguments. Um, right, those, right, right. Those rights were not part of, of these rights that were set up uh, 100 years ago or basically until fairly recently. So there's, there's a lot of demands on this water. I don't know why at the top level the planning wasn't more urgent. The Metropolitan Water District of Southern, Southern California, which we call the Met typically, uh, only hired a sustainability officer last summer and a cli- basically someone to deal with climate change issues. So th- certainly they were working on these things. That's a $1.7 billion organization, the largest water agency in the world, or at least in this country. They had people working on these things, but you know, having one organization speak with one voice essentially about uh, an issue of that importance is really only happening under the new administration. And I don't mean to denigrate the actions of the earlier um, general managers and, and boards, but there is a, a new urgency now, and um, I'm not exactly sure why it took so long to come to the fore. That's huge. That looms, and oh, and stay tuned, right, for the, the oral arguments, because there's so many resource management aspects that will come out of uh, this or that will be exposed as unaddressed. So I, I'm not sure what what the uh, the wagers are for the riveting, uh, the snowballing impact of oh. the, the, the Native American rights. So Can I jump on that really d- jump, quick? Jump, jump, jump. Just to say what's going on in California, though. So we're talking, we're talking about Colorado. We're talking about right. water that comes from outside the state. In, in California now, of course, we're having one of the wettest years on record uh, after one of the driest. So we're good. For a while, uh, the snowpack lasts, which is our b- water bank, primary water bank, California, lasts a year. Uh, and in fact, some of the water that's coming in now is warmer and is melting the snowbank to the extent that we're having flooding problems. There's real risks of levees that are all over the state um, being at risk. So we have too much water right now, and there's a lot of discussion about that. But in, the reservoirs are filling up. The reservoirs are maybe a few years worth of water. Um, so it's not like a really wet year like this is going to hold us over throughout a climate change, you know, change in regime. But we're in good shape this year. The, the water people, I don't know about the comedians on Twitter, but I, I, some water people are a little bit giddy about the water we're getting this year. But it is a short-term uh, fix. Well, it's because we can see the surface water is replenishing. But the what we can't see is the groundwater, and that is... That's the larger share that we're pulling out. So that's there's that tension here of messaging about how the surface water can retain and then it can be captured maybe for groundwater retention in, with new facilities. And I, I have no idea why it took so long for that to that recognition of the potential for the. 500-year well, storms. Well, it's not that to, new. I mean, the, the LA Aqueduct was, was built 120 years ago to store in the Santa Fernando Valley. Was for Valley storage. A, a, okay, aqua, not running um, off. Aquifer. Okay. So people have been aware of that. And again, the Orange County Water District was formed 100-something years ago to, to manage our aquifer. I think one issue is that uh, as we've needed to rely more on ground, and which is the future of, of water storage in California, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to build more than one new reservoir, maybe, uh, in California. So groundwater is being used. A lot of it's polluted in, in uh, Los Angeles County. They have a lot of uh, polluted groundwater basins, so they have to clean those up. Um, and I think... And that's know, very painstaking. That was the last month. We'll talk about the water dialogues at the end here for people. Their, their next meeting is going to be tomorrow at noon that the Met puts on. But that is painstaking. Just one single uh, Superfund area to remediate that is that's a whole lot of capital investment staff time and uh, and sort of deferring a recharge resource so that's a lot a lot's happening in one site so i think a lot of low-hanging fruit was uh you know that's what it was and, and now the future groundwater uh sources for storing water and there's talk all over the place about storing it in the central basin agricultural areas to refurbish where the groundwater has been pumped out uh, over the decades, it's just harder to do. You know, and the are- ancient riverbeds that are getting, some of them are being developed over. So the the, the yes. natural capture area is, uh, and well, I don't know if there's, area. is there a map? Oh, where is it? Oh, is it the Santa Ana River? 
that's under the, you can see it in the 405 stretch. It can always, I can always tell that one stretch where the Santa Ana River would have run off when it was Well, here wild. in L.A., we, we channeled all, all of the, it. the rivers that used to spread all over the basins. So because people wanted to live here and it, you can't have flooding all the time. So, um, but in other parts of the state where they're not necessarily urbanized, they're also, it's not always that easy. And I think there is some technology and some technological developments and money to be spent, as you said, to to make use of these different um, groundwater basins that we haven't used in the past to store water. So that we're, we're moving into this, the groundwater recapture projects. Um, let's talk about the current recapture projects that MODOC is involved in. We're, we do not operate facilities. Okay, so... So, so MODOC, um, we used to have facilities that we sold to the Met uh, some years ago, uh, pipes and so forth to distribute the imported water that we buy from the Met. But, but now we're, we're basically a level of government that uh, connects our regional water importer, the Met, uh, which was formed to build the Colorado River Aqueduct in the 30s, and then also uh, co-manages the state water project that comes down from Northern California. And those are our two sources of water, Northern California snowpack and the Colorado Basin. And that agency then resells to basically urban Southern California, almost 20 million people. We're the Orange County recipient of that. And then we, in turn, um, and, and we have votes on the MET board, which is a 37-member board. We have four on our board. Then Orange County, in addition to the MODOC importing water to uh, Orange County, there is, uh, maybe I should bring this up in a minute, but there are what we call the three cities. So when the Met was formed, there were three cities in Orange County, Anaheim, Fullerton, and Santa Ana. They have their own seats on the Met board, and they have their own relationships with the Met. But as Orange County started to urbanize and form more communities, it was just going to be too much if the Met had to have hundreds of customers. So we essentially are organized for the twenty, the 27 here in Orange County. But we don't have facilities any longer, although we support facility development and planning. Okay. So to bring everybody along with us, and we're, we're talking about the messaging, and we're talking about the, uh, the various agency levels. I'm trying to figure out how to wrap this all in a big, fat answer here from you. It's hard to wrap your, how, your, your arms around it's huge. kind of the octopus of this. Yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah. So how aggressive ought the state and the, the local agencies be about advising the water conservation? And, I mean, we've talked before when you were a candidate and it's been addressed, Max Gomberg, when he's on, it's, we're reminded it's ag, the ag portion of the water budget is the largest. It's probably, what is it, about seven-eighths, three-fourths? Eighty percent is the number it, okay, that's usually okay. out. So then, uh, so, but there's still the messaging to individual sort of residential level here. So how aggressive, because there's a bit of a whiplash for watching these massive rain events coming through as, well, are we, aren't we? So it... So the governor didn't make conservation a mandatory step, but so where do you think we're best advised, just being as vigorous a resource manager about this as possible, to send a message out to the public about behavior in water consumption? Well, we're going to have to make do with less water. Um, whatever comes out of this uh, seven-state agreement with the Colorado River in particular, uh, the Met is at the end of the pipeline, so to speak. And there'll probably be some reductions. The good news is that the public has been doing that. So even as the population has grown, per capita use has gone down quite a lot. And you know, it has to do with the, the appliances that people are using now, turf replacement program. By the way, my agency, MODOC, uh, manages the subsidies in Orange County for turf replacement. If you want to get your grass replaced, we'll pay you $3 a square foot. So you get a 20 by 20 yard, you get like $1,400 just to take the grass out and replace it with some drought-tolerant stuff. But not with the impermeable... AstroTurf. No, it has to be a That's, certain kind of surface. Has you can't to be, use artificial turf. Because you don't get else. recapture if you've yeah. got run, you're going to increase the velocity of runoff if you put an impermeable AstroTurf on. But we also provide free design assistance and all kinds, you know, whatever you need if you're trying to figure out what to do with the yard and you want to go to a, a drought tolerant yard. So we need conservation. It's a little tricky when people ask, why is it that I have to cut back my water use? And there's a new subdivision going on up down the street with thousands of units in it. And that's because the governance of the system is set up in a way that it supports growth. 
still, but is trying to bring usage down on a per household basis, which it's doing. So we're doing our part. Um, I mean, the the macro story is definitely that over time with climate change, if water resources become less reliable, more volatile, uh, we're seeing both wet and dry this last couple of years, that agriculture is probably it's going to have to give. But, you know, I did a tour of um, the Colorado Aqueduct a couple of months ago and, and went to some of these communities out by the river. Uh, there's the Pali Verde, Verde Irrigation District, which has the primary rights, and then Imperial Irrigation District, which we're all probably familiar with because Imperial Irrigation District, the county in the southeast corner of the state, uses more water than in, in, more Colorado River than anybody else in the system. Certainly more than it's anyone huge. else in California. Yeah, millions of acres. Uh, most of it is for is for feed. Uh, so basically for animals, it's not producing the broccoli and lettuce. I mean, they they do that too, but most of the this goes to alfalfa and hay. So um, that's going to have to give. But if you go there uh, and you see these communities, I mean, the way we're approaching that is is the urban users have the money that they can afford to pay the farmers not to grow. So they're doing what they call fallowing land, and they're fallowing lots of land. The Met now owns most of the acreage in the Palo Verde Irrigation District. And on the other hand, it really impacts the communities. So these are communities that, that need the work, need the money. If you take the money away, it's going to decimate them. Uh, they have cultures. They have got families. They've got all kinds of things going on. So the new thinking is that we need to have even more money, not just pay them not to grow, but pay them to rebuild their economies to the extent we can and rebuild their communities. But it's going to be expensive. But that's where we're going in the future is ag is going to have to use less water uh, legally, that's a very tricky thing. I'm not a lawyer, but I think I understand it's even complicated for them to sort out. But in, just in terms of the macro dynamics, ag, ag has to give. And so the question is how we do that if we manage it well or if we manage it, manage it badly. So that's actually where your training is really well uh, positioned here to address that multidisciplinary aspect of it's a, like a community development, economic development kind of model to start turning the water demand down. Well, the Met is hiring more economists. I mean, so, I mean, people are understanding that this this is not something you look up in a textbook. You have to yep. weigh this versus that. You got to move back, 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 <clears throat> back. And um, I think they're making progress. They're, they're starting to say things that make a lot more sense to me than, than the old model of just, we'll, we'll just pay them not to grow, and it's not our problem. Wow. Okay. So... This we're going to go back out as I wanted to. Oh, so back to then the how the governor and the water districts message what we need to do in our you know residential capacities. I I think we're doing okay. Um, the biggest issue uh, for urban suburban users is landscaping, which is I brought that up a little right, earlier right. for yes. that reason. Uh, if if we can make uh, get rid of some of what we call non-productive turf, uh, uh, then we'll we'll really just accomplish a lot. And there's actually a new state law that the governor signed last year that reduces uh, targets our per capita indoor use to I think 42 gallons per person uh, per day by 2030. And the water districts were against this partly because they don't know how to measure per capita use inside a house. They just look at a whole property. So they're going to have to figure something out there. But also they just wondered about, there are actually some issues about not having enough water to recycle in some places. Right. <clears throat> if people don't use it in the first place, you have to use it to reuse it. So, um, but it's it's law now, and it'll we'll have to see what happens with that. So the urban, suburban users now are doing pretty well. I mean, we're consuming less all the time. We could do better. Uh, but again, the honest is not on us statewide. It's really on on the gorilla in the room, which is agriculture, in terms of their use of water, which because of the incentives they face, and this, there are actually a couple of issues with this. One is something like the Colorado River water. Another is something called the Central Valley Project, which is a project that was built in the 20s to bring water to the Central Valley for agriculture. That was its purpose. And it has had historically very, very low rates for that water because they were encouraging people to go there and grow in the 1920s and 30s. And now they've got 30-year contracts, incredibly cheap water, which means when you have really cheap water, you you grow crops, uh, which depend on water quite a lot. And that dynamic is changing. And again, I don't want to put make the farmers sound like they're 
the bad guys here because they're just doing what they do. They are trying to, you know, mix up the crops. They're trying to use water more efficiently. They're just doing all kinds of innovative things. So it's it's not the farmer community as as a whole necessarily that is doing anything wrong. They're just living with the system that they grew up in. Well, I guess I want to quickly, um, there's two inordinately large questions to bring up here. So but while we're talking about those stakeholders in the Central Valley and toward L.A., I want to quickly run by you the equity issue. We have the the communities that are in uh, Peril, the Parajo area, as well as the Allensworth, those are communities that have been just written off. They're inundated. Those They're wiped out. They're more than what would happen when you're talking about the Imperial Valley uh, economic development, community development considerations. But So Parajo Valley and Allensworth, you've got them being written off. And then we have, I'm going to have to call out Stuart Resnick, chair of the Waterful, Wonderful Company, and he has amassed amazing amount of water rights all the way down in Central Valley into the L.A. County. And he is just sort of mapping all sorts of cultural and academic institutions with the Resnick name that has a kind of a, 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 a it's not so subtle that he's got power with those investments to either stifle some discussions or to just to mask just how pernicious the externalities are of his agricultural practices through the pistachio and the almond and all that are very extensive in the the, the water use that we're, you're saying is at, at, we're talking about the limits there so we've got underserved entire communities and we've got Resnick ramping up his influence and he's also been involved with some of those infrastructure draft initiatives as well as the some of the federal discussion. I, I imagine he's probably involved with what the Met is deciding about carving all this up. So uh, we've got a huge equity problem. I want to bring that up, and I don't know if we're going to have time for the desal and the PFAS management. So let's just rapid fire to deal. How does MODOC have a chance to address those disparities? Well, we can through our influence on the Met board. So we're the third largest um, voting bloc on the, on the Met. And the Met is the one that's involved in those communities on the Colorado River um, area, as well as their involvement in the state water project and so what's happening in the rest of the state. In Orange County, we certainly have equity issues, but not the kind of equity issues we see statewide in the communities you just mentioned. So that's where we have influence is where, and, and I'll say our new chair of the board, Dan Ortega, He's someone who's been in the water community for a very long time. And he's in Fullerton, but he's on the map. He, he was in Fullerton. He, uh, I, I believe, actually now the chair, the vice chair, and and uh, oh, the Met. and the general manager of the Met are all from Fullerton. But uh, Mr. Ortega is from the town of Fernando. Uh, he's their Met representative, and he's the new chair. He started in January, and he's got a, a deep interest in dealing with inequities in water supply and and demand. So uh, I know he's been working, he has, his full-time job is as a water consultant, and he works a lot with marginalized communities and communities um, that are being, um, you know, not water wealthy, and, and uh, water equity is just a giant, giant issue in the state of California. Um, there was a, one example is a law that the governor vetoed last year, which would provide funds for people that cannot pay their water bills. And it was supported, you know, in the Senate and Assembly, and the governor vetoed it because he said it wasn't funded. So now this year they're talking about trying to figure out to find sources of funds to pay, um, you know, put into a fund to help people pay their water bills. And it's difficult because of something called Proposition 218, which was a follow-up on Proposition 13, which very much limits what um, public agencies can do with the fees they get from the services they provide. So in particular, it doesn't really permit cross-subsidies. So this is something that, that uh, the legislature is dealing with and, and will work on in the future. So the Met itself is very focused on this equity issue, and we can participate in that primarily through our votes on the Met. You can. So that's, that's on the radar. But, but Resnick is, I mean, how, how, when did you first know about him? Well, people certainly mentioned him uh, early on in terms of, you know, do you know about the pomegranate guy and all of that? All I know is that they do have, uh, they have a majority interest in the current water bank which is a million acre feet uh, of storage in, in Kern County. And a million acre feet is worth somewhere between, well, it depends on how much it sells for, but $250 an acre foot. Sorry, an acre foot is is the volume 
measure that we use in the water world, and it's it's how much water you get from spreading. Uh, two hundred fifty by times two, one million. It's um, it's two hundred twenty three hundred twenty six thousand gallons, but it's an acre a foot deep. So that's the volume we use. And uh, the Met sells us water and charges by the acre foot. And it's either 250 when it's really cheap to um, when it's really not cheap, 2000 an acre. So that water bank in Kern County is worth potentially billions of dollars. So the guy did invest in the Central Valley and has prospered from that. I don't know exactly what his political involvement is in all these things, but clearly it's a financial. Player. Now, clearly political a is a whole. He's complicated politically, mm-hmm. but he, and he's just broadening out there. And even now, uh, in uh, Technion in Israel, he's got, made another big uh, contribution last December. So it's a, it's the stakes there and the asymmetry of the distribution is. He's around. I it's believe he wild. owns Fiji Water also. Yes, so yes, he's got, and that is the, and that's a water bottler. So mm-hmm. and with a, you know, everybody. A-listers wielding those containers. So I'm ra- I'm really rounding this by fast because I want to at least drop the ideas on people. So the, the desal plant was denied by the Coastal Commission for the Poseidon Project in Huntington Beach. But since then, Governor Newsom's exerted a great amount of influence. No other desal plant, uh, every single one after that that's been under consideration, has been approved by the Coastal Commission, and there's more applications, I believe. So what... A, just briefly speak to that the the downside of committing to the desal plants is what San Diego is experiencing now with the increasingly more expensive water distribution there. The ratepayers are are having to cover that liability that's only opening up with no no end in sight. Well, that's a decision San Diego made. I mean, San Diego was pretty dependent on imported water. They were a reluctant member of the Met. Uh, I think they had to join because the Navy made it a condition of, of them building up things after World War II. Uh, and they've been, since, you know, in the last decades, have been trying to become as independent from their dependence on imported water as possible. So uh, they made those decisions. I, I don't know how informed they were. I mean, there are different kinds of desal. The The South County plant that now is being pursued in Orange County, uh, Doheny plant in, is it in San, I mean, Dana Din, Point? Yeah. Um, it's quite different than the one that was proposed um, by a private uh, desal plant maker, Poseidon, which is also, they also built the North San Diego County desal plant that you just talked, referred to. So the one in South County is much smaller. Uh, it checks off some boxes that, that the big plant did not. It's environmentally much much friendlier. It's, it's on a smaller scale, so it's not as energy intensive. Um, and in, it's being run by a public agency. So it's not, we don't have, I forgot how much money Poseidon allegedly spent pushing the Huntington Beach plant, but millions and millions and millions of dollars over the years. So, so far, it looks friendly enough that it could be what would be considered a reliable source of water in a, on a landscape where the water portfolio is not all about reliable water, particularly, again, South County. Another issue with the Huntington Beach plant was it was in North County where they don't need it because they've got a good groundwater base and they can depend on even in the worst of times. Well, there were so many issues. I'm not going to open all the way. But the, well, there but were the, other things. The, One was just location. And the Superfund site next to it that yeah. would have to navigate through and around. So South County, they actually do need reliable sources of water. So the activists will come back and the, the brain trust would say, if we just work on retrofitting the pipes, stop the leaking throughout the system, that you're going to do a tremendous amount of water savings in distributing. So what's MODOC doing about promoting, fixing what's already there? We have a very active and popular water leak detection program. And, and that's not sexy, but that's that's it really is sexy. Yeah, actually, I saw a presentation and it was super interesting. <laughs> These people t- wandering around trying to figure out whether there's a leak from you know 10 feet above ground. And there are different kinds of tools they can use and equipment. Um, and this has been very valuable to our member agencies because you're right. There are some leaks. I mean, sometimes you can tell from the billing, but it depends where, where the, the meters are in the system. And so a lot of these are in distribution trunks where you can't necessarily find them. Uh, you know, at home, if your bill goes up suddenly, it's probably because of a leak of some kind. But how do you find those things? And actually, there, there are different techniques that are being used. But we have a water detection leak detection program that's very popular. So that, you're exactly right. I mean, leaks are wasted water. Uh, they may go into a some kind of water table. Be. They could be giant, giant waste. And when you talked about how expensive it is to retrofit an entire culture in the Imperial Valley area, but this this is not as an expensive a proposition as some of the other much more complicated things. So it's sort of like it behooves us to be very basic in our thinking about that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, there nobody 
the culture today is quite different than it was historically. We don't want to waste water. People realize that. And, and again, you've got, you've got a lot more people that are paying a lot more attention to how much water their yards use, especially as water rates go up. So we're, we're doing our part, but there are still other alternatives to look into. So I think desal has a role to play in Orange County if you do it right. Well, okay. Well, we're uh, stay tuned because there's a lot of uh, And I came in as a skeptic on that. Uh, I understand. So the, just the last, 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 the perfluorooctane sulfonic acid or polyfluoroalkyl sorts of chemicals, the forever chemicals, are getting greater attention EPA setting standards. So what's MODOC's piece in that? And that I don't get to ask anything else. Well, we don't really have a piece of that other than I know people are talking about it. So because we don't have equipment, we don't treat water. But again, I know there are sources of groundwater that, that need to be cleaned up. And there are, people are talking about it. I hear people talking about it every week. New technologies for dealing with PFAS, new plants that are being built to deal with them. So people are busy and they're active. And again, you know, an issue that I think is important to me is figuring out a way to communicate this to the public. So people hear about these problems, they hear about these concerns. There actually is a lot going on, and uh, I hope we do a better job of communicating that to the public as going forward. Well, Brandy, thank you so much. I just wanted to make sure everybody knows that next we're going to have uh, water dialogues that the Met's putting on tomorrow, and that is going to be at noon to one. And I'm going to put up the, it's on the KUCI talk for Ask a Leader today. You can see where you can sign up for attending that. It's about an hour and a half. People ask the best questions in that setting. So, Randy, thanks for taking the time to come down to the studio today with Thank us you. and cover this whole uh, unbelievably unwieldy topic. But uh, maybe you can come back in sort of segments every so many months. Could you do that? Happy to. Okay, thank you. That was Randy Crane, and he is talking in his capacity as the newly elected director of Division 5 at Municipal Water District of Orange County. We talked about MODOC. Next week, now we're going to bring on the American Ballet Theater, new artistic director, Susan Jaffe, with the production at Segerstrom Performing Arts Center, and Melissa Zine is going to be talking as program director of uh, Rowie Teen and Parent Wellness Centers, opening a new office in Tustin. Talk to you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Da, 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 da.